Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We really appreciate it. A day that feels so much different than just yesterday because of the events that took place yesterday in our nation's capital. I'll talk more about that in just a moment. We have a busy program coming up today. Uh, We'll talk with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Some things, uh, some positives actually, developments as far as infrastructure, and we'll talk about that. We're also going to talk with outgoing USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey. This time of transition, what they're wrapping up at USDA as we get ready to move into a new administration. And uh, we'll also talk with Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns & Associates, the latest on the, uh, the, the hog market and what's going on with packing plants. We'll get the very latest from Steve a little bit later on. And we're going to talk renewable fuels in just a moment with, Steve, with uh, Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. But before we do that, just some quick thoughts yesterday. A lot's been said, and uh, there's a lot been printed, and uh, there's a lot out there about what took place yesterday. I won't uh, uh, go into too much detail on that now. Just some quick thoughts, though. We've all looked forward to 2020 being behind us and moving on to 2021, but yesterday reminded us that just turning a page on the calendar doesn't mean all our problems just disappear. The terrible actions at our nation's capital yesterday, like the ones that had taken place across our country much of last year were wrong and indefensible. It's so sad that so many people now are trying to use these events as political justification. Last year we saw cities burned and businesses looted while political leaders stayed silent if they thought it helped them politically. That was wrong. Yesterday's events in Washington DC were also wrong and there's no excusing them, there's no justifying them politically or in any other way. Yesterday was the latest in a series of wake-up calls for our country. But sadly, much of the reaction I've read and heard tells me people still aren't listening. Politics won't fix our problems. They will only add to them. Nobody wins if everybody loses. And we all lost yesterday. Where we go from here now is the big test for our country. All right, we'll probably be talking more about that certainly in the days ahead, but let's move now to renewable fuels. We're joined by Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks for joining us. I know as someone like yourself who spent a lot of time on Capitol Hill, um, just had to, I think for all of us, just broke our hearts to see what was going on yesterday. It was so sad and kind of thought it'll never be the same, probably going back there again. We may not have the same access uh, to our our elected officials' offices and uh, to talk issues, it's going to be a different world moving forward, probably. It, it will be, Mike, and, and good morning to you and Happy New Year. Um, I, I do appreciate your comments uh, about yesterday's uh, shameful spectacle that we saw, and, and I think you're right. I think the world changed uh, yesterday, and, and uh, things are going to be different as we uh, you know, navigate the hill and, and continue to try to do the, the, the work that we do on behalf of the ethanol industry um, we're going to expect tighter security and, and just different protocols and, and uh, uh, just a different uh, different feeling on the Hill, at least for a while. It, it really was 
uh, a shameful thing to see. It made my, you know, made me sick to my stomach to watch what was going on. Uh, I am glad to see that things appear to be uh, under control this morning, and and some order has been restored. But uh, definitely a, a dark day in our in our nation's history yesterday. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about some of the issues that you're going to be working on with the, those that are in Washington, D.C., and one of those being uh, certainly uh, the small refinery exemptions. That continues to be a big issue. Now you wait to see how a new EPA will handle them. That's right. Uh, we know that uh, in, an, in another few weeks we are going to have a new EPA coming in, uh, and they're going to have a lot of uh, loose ends to tie up, uh, a lot of messes that are being left for them by the outgoing EPA administrator, uh, Andy Wheeler, who I understand is, is in Costa Rica today uh, on one last, uh, one last trip uh, on the taxpayer dime. Uh, but we do expect to hear something from EPA fairly early uh, in the new Biden administration about how they intend to deal with these pending small refinery exemptions that are still hanging out there. There's 66 pending petitions that haven't yet been decided. Um, and so, you know, we think we'll hear pretty soon from the incoming Biden team how they're planning to handle those petitions. We also expect to hear something real soon, Mike, from the Supreme Court on whether it will review the Tenth Circuit decision that overturned several of these small refinery exemptions and, and set a precedent about a year ago uh, that EPA has not yet adopted. So. We think if the Supreme Court declines to review that decision, uh, then that should be the end of it. And that will really give the new EPA all the justification they could possibly need to uh, sort of put an end to the, the, this sordid chapter in the RFS history and, and, and stop granting all these uh, unnecessary waivers. So we'll watch that closely. Also, you'll be working closely with Tom Vilsack and USDA for their decisions and determinations on on assistance for the biofuels industry through the COVID package, uh, much of that discretion is up to USDA, right? It is, and, and the, the COVID package that passed uh, right at the end of the year uh, explicitly included language um, that, that makes it very clear to, to USDA um, that it does, in fact, have the authority to use some of that aid, some of that funding provided by Congress, uh, to directly support renewable fuel producers. Um, and, you know, it couldn't come at a, at a more important time. Market conditions are headed south again uh, in the ethanol marketplace. Fuel consumption is drying up again. It's not a good situation. So we know that this latest COVID package provides another $13 billion to USDA. We know there's still some... Uh, left from the CARES Act as as well, um, so USDA is probably sitting on 15 or 16 billion in in unexpended funding for COVID relief. Uh, I know you're going to have Bill Northey on later today, and I'm sure he'll maybe share some plans of of what they're what they might be doing here in the last few weeks of the Trump administration. But we think most of the decisions on how that funding is going to be distributed will likely fall to the next USDA and and Tom Vilsack, and we're very optimistic that Mr. Vilsack will. Uh, strongly consider directing some of that aid to the ethanol industry. Real quick, Jeff, before we wrap it up, you, uh, Secretary Purdue said he needed specific direction. Do you feel this uh, time there is specific direction, which will now be for Tom Vilsack to use? Yes, we do. There is statutory language now. There's there's language in the law um, that makes clear that uh, some of this funding uh, may be directed to renewable fuel producers. 
and and it's uh, about as black and white and as clear as as Congress could make it. So there shouldn't be any confusion uh, for outgoing Secretary Purdue or incoming Secretary Vilsack uh, about the appropriate uses of that funding and and the fact that ethanol producers are eligible entities. All right, Jeff, good to talk with you again. Thanks a lot. And next time we'll talk about your upcoming virtual meeting. I want to let people know about the National Ethanol Conference. I know you have some great uh, uh, plans for that. Speakers getting lined up. We'll talk about that next time. Thanks a lot. Sounds great. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Jeff Cooper, President, CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Up next, we'll talk infrastructure with Mike Steenhook with the Soy Transportation Coalition. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Steve Sinsky, Chief Executive Officer of the American Soybean Association. Well, I know that you are pleased with the passage of the COVID relief package and what it contains for agriculture. Also, that, that omnibus bill. We were pleased with the agriculture-specific provisions that are included in the bill. I know that there were some more controversial things that were included in the omnibus that not everyone's in, in favor of, and, you know, they get presented as a package. But certainly as part of that total package, there was that COVID relief. And so we were very pleased to see that it's going to be additional support for crop producers, soybean producers included on that, $20 an acre payments. There's funding for broadband. There's making sure that there's enough funding for vaccine distribution, prioritizing the distribution to frontline foods, food industry workers. And that's been a priority and something that ASA has been urging. For the information important to rural America, Join us on Adams on Agriculture. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry. The pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of the topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you a guest important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to separate. First, use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Raw meat should never touch food that won't be cooked. Then, always keep raw meat, poultry, seafood, and their juices away from other foods in the shopping cart. And store raw meat, poultry, and seafood in a container or on a plate in the fridge so juices won't drip on other foods. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. 
For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, there's some good news on the infrastructure front, and we want to get updated on that with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Mike, thank you for joining us. Um, even though yesterday reminds us of the, many of the problems in our country, there are some positive things to talk about, some uh, good developments uh, as far as infrastructure projects and uh, hopefully uh, improvements we'll see this year. Can Bring us up to date. What's, what's going on here? What should we be focused on here? Well, what generated the most attention when, you know, the Congress passed and the president signed the, you know, what was called the Consolidated Appropriations Act that, that mostly included the $900 billion for COVID relief and then also just a larger what's called an omnibus funding bill for government activities for fiscal year 2021. But included in that was a, a passage of a Water Resources Development Act. And this continues the momentum that we've enjoyed since 2014 of passing a, a Water Resources Development Act or WERDA bill every two years. And what that bill does is it establishes a strategy or a game plan for improving our nation's inland waterway system. And arguably the most notable component of this WERDA bill getting passed was a, a change in the cost share for when we as a nation endeavor to build a new lock or to do a major rehabilitation of an existing lock. The, the, heretofore, the cost share was 50% from the federal government, 50% from the private sector, specifically the Inland Waterways Trust Fund. That cost share has now been changed with the signing of this bill to 65% federal government, 35% private sector or the Inland Waterway Trust Fund. And we think that's notable because we think that what will occur is a lot of these lock and dam projects that have really accumulated in this queue for a number of years will now be attended to more expeditiously. So obviously a lot of work remains to be done, but I think this is a real key step in trying to make sure that this that work on these important infrastructure projects does proceed and it and it gets done more on time and more within budget. Yeah, that could make a big difference. Uh, what about as far as the rail system is concerned? You know, a lot of the, you know, a, a mode of transportation that often doesn't get a lot of attention or appreciation is the short line and regional railroad industry. A lot of the focus is on the larger, what are called class one railroads like Union Pacific, like BNSF Railway, North, North Southern, et cetera. And, and they play a key role in our, 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 agricultural supply chain, but a lot of times these short-line railroads that are still, you know, often privately owned, privately operated by, I mean, a lot of times they're just family-owned businesses, they often provide that key initial mile of service or the key, the, the mile of service at, 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 the, at the final destination. And that really helps our whole supply chain occur. So the, the, the bill actually passed what's called a, and made permanent, what's called a short-line tax credit. And so when short-line railroads try to uh, rehabilitate or make improvements to their infrastructure, their, their track, there's a tax credit associated with it. And it was allowed to expire 
quite frequently and then it would have to get reauthorized and and this made that tax credit permanent that really injects some needed predictability and reliability into that program so that's we envision it's really going to be helpful to the short line and regional railroads and that's that's good news for agriculture we're talking with Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. So those are some a couple of uh, very positive notes. Uh, as you look at this year, in 2021, and getting back to the waterways, are there some projects lined up, ready to go, or, or underway already that we should be watching? Well, we think there's a real opportunity to finally get some meaningful work done on what's called the the NESP project. That's the Navigation and Ecosystem Sustainability Project. What it specifically calls for is new locks at seven key sites on the Mississippi and the Illinois River. See, these are some of these locks that are getting closer to the St. Louis area that really have been uh, experiencing some some degree of neglect, but they they really could use uh, some some additional investment, some significant investment, and these are projects that farmers in you know along Iowa, Missouri, Illinois that have really been pining for for a considerable period of time, Minnesota, um, and so we're really hopeful that there will finally be some attention for those key projects, and I think we really have an opportunity to get. To, to do that uh, yet in 2021. You know, a lot of times, this time of year, we're talking about uh, ice on the rivers. We're talking about getting concerned about, uh, you know, big snows up north and when they melt, uh, you know, flooding problems downstream. I, I've heard more concerns about low water levels this year. How serious is that in places? Well, you know, that, that you know, remains a concern in certain, certain pockets. Um, you know, it, you know, that's one of, you know, one of the, the virtues of the Inland Waterway System is that it's a really efficient way of moving heavy freight long distances for an, at an economical price point. The downside, admittedly, and we all know this, is that it can be unreliable due to whether too high water is what we saw in 2019, or in cases too little water, and we saw that on occasion in 2020, and we're still seeing it to some degree in 2021. So, um, yeah, obviously that's, that remains a challenge in certain pockets. Overall, the system has worked quite well, and that's been very important given the, the real robust export program that we have going on right now. Um, it would be really detrimental if we had the river shut down. We're glad that we're still seeing healthy barge traffic on the river to be able to feed into that export demand. But yeah, clearly it's it's something that we continue to monitor and we need to be attentive to. Um, and making sure that we're doing things, you know, we can't do a whole lot about what Mother Nature throws at us, but there's a whole lot we can do about how we react to Mother Nature and making sure that we make sure that our inland waterway system is as resilient as possible, that can withstand some of these punches that Mother Nature may throw on occasion, um, that's something that we certainly can be attentive to. Mike, we have talked for years about the need for a comprehensive infrastructure package getting passed in Congress. Uh, we now know, of course, we have a, a new Congress that will be, uh, we'll have the Democrats with the majority, albeit very narrow majorities in both the House and, and the Senate. Do you think this would be the year we would see a comprehensive infrastructure package get passed. Uh, you know, I'm I'm really hearing some some 
real you know, reason for optimism, and I, I think it will be a major priority of the Biden administration uh, in the early parts of his administration. So I, I expect to have a robust proposal, proposal getting submitted by the administration. Um, what I really want to make sure is that we don't neglect the needs of rural America and not just have an infrastructure bill that just focuses disproportionately on subways and urban transit and passenger rail and those kind of things. Uh, obviously, there's, there are strong advocates for those, those modes of transportation, uh, and they deserve to be heard, but we need to make sure that we're also talking about locks and dams. We're talking about freight rail. We're talking about rural roads and bridges. And you know, so much of the freight that we see on our highways and our interstates it originates in rural areas, and you know, I think it'd be foolish to look to, to to make the conclusion we just need to focus on highways and interstates because it's where we see the majority of traffic. Um, a lot of that traffic does originate in rural areas, and so we need to have a holistic approach. So I think there is going to be something that will be submitted. We just really want to make sure that we're. Uh, calling attention to the needs of rural America and making sure it's a, it's a truly a comprehensive plan. Well, as we've said many times before, there's been a lot of talk about it. We keep hearing promises or pledges or, you know, good intentions, it seems like, on this front, but it doesn't seem to happen. Perhaps it'll be different this time. Well, you know, the you know, like you said, there's a big difference between intentions and outcomes. Mm -hmm. And usually what, what's required to get from intention to outcome is a lot of old-fashioned shoe leather work. It's a lot of making the, making the case and making it again and making it again. And it's a lot of pounding of that rock. And, you know, that, that legislative process, it's, it's often not sexy, but it, it requires a lot of work. And so... Uh, hopefully that we will see that from the administration. We hopefully will see that from Congress. And clearly we need to have an engaged uh, constituents like agriculture really insisting upon it. And, you know, rarely things get done by just asking for it once. You usually have to in have increased frequency of it, and you really need to be adamant about it. Yeah, and agriculture's been asking for a long time. We'll see if it's... Uh if it's answered this year or not. Always good to talk with you. Thanks for the update, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, 
so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Egg Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Grain markets are weaker across the board with the egg space, looking at its first universal lower session in quite some time. EIA data shows ethanol producers averaged 935,000 barrels per day, which was a 1,000 barrel per day increase week over week. Ethanol stocks declined 220,000 barrels to 23.28 million barrels. On the Board of Trade, March corn is trading three and a fraction lower at 491 and three quarters. The May contract down three and a half cent at 492 and a half cent. May soybeans trading 13 and three quarters of a cent lower at 1346 and a half cent. The March contract down 14 at 1347 and a half cent. Chicago wheat March is trading four and a half cent lower at 643. Kansas City wheat March trading two and a half cent lower at 601. Minneapolis spring wheat March down three and a quarter at 603. Active pressure and lean hog futures Wednesday afternoon is now creating question if the market rally is over or traders are taking profits on its way to 11-month highs. Price movements over the next two trading sessions will help give clarity to long-term market direction. February lean hogs are trading 32 cents lower at 69.45. The April contract down 15 at 72.85. March feeder cattle up $1.40 at 137.90. The April contract $1.30 higher at 139.92. April live cattle trading 5 cents lower at 119.20, the June contract up a dime at 115.02. In cash cattle country, packer inquiry should improve over the next several hours. Asking prices are around $114 to $115 in the south and $180 in the north. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 229 points, the NASDAQ composite up 262, the S&P 500 up 49. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we want to get an update on the transition at USDA, and joining us now is USDA Undersecretary for Farm Production and Conservation, Bill Northey. Bill, thanks for being with us. I know this is a busy time as you're wrapping up a lot of things. Good to talk with you. Happy New Year to you. Uh, your thoughts uh, on where you're at 
in wrapping things up, I know you've you've got some programs still going. Uh, you've made some announcements here just in the last few days. Uh, kind of give us an update on how the transition is going as you wrap up your time there. Yeah, we've uh, certainly had a lot of work to do over the last several years and still working at it. Um, I do have uh, some things that we're trying to get into place uh, on the legislation that passed last week. Uh, the omnibus legislation uh, have been working on some things that uh, um, were were some we had some dollars left over from CFAP one and uh, working on trying to combine those two activities and still would hope that we can get an announcement and a sign up going for some of that. Um, as was as you mentioned, we announced quality loss assistance program um, and uh, that sign up. Uh, is is starting soon, um, and we'll have uh, some dollars there for for folks uh, once they share what those quality losses are. Um, so so many different things going. Um, we have CRP is open right now. It'll be open uh, for into February. I certainly encourage folks to uh, to come out for that. Good discussions with the transition team as well. Uh, they wanted to know where we're at in programs and where we're at in just organization. Uh, been very good to work with. Uh, we'll uh, tee some things up um, off that omnibus uh, that'll make it fairly easy for them to implement those uh, fairly quickly. Some of them are going to take longer just because there's uh, a lot more provisions that are required in some of those provisions. We talked earlier with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, and he feels that um, there's now specific language to give direction to USDA to provide assistance for the biofuels industry. Uh, uh, do you agree with that? Is, is this latest uh, COVID package that was passed, it much? there's still going to be discretion left to USDA on how to use it, but do you feel that there is specific guidance now for USDA to grant that uh, assistance to the the biofuels industry? Well, I, I, you know, there is a may <clears throat> that the secretary may uh, support um, and uh, certainly would have several different ways that they could support the biofuels industry as well as uh, there are several others, including may support um, other processors, uh, may support the timber industry, um, there's several challenges. One is coming together with what that looks like um, in in what you support and the time period that you support. And um, there's also a limitation in dollars. Uh, Congress provided 13 billion dollars, but uh, certainly the uh, the cattle support that's in there and and some uh, the acreage support, the 20 dollars an acre that's in there uh, will. I take a significant portion of that. Um, and then there was a provision at the end that they wanted to, uh, if there are any dollars left uh, after the discretion of the secretary uh, to be able to top up some of the folks that had were limited on their payments by payment limitation. And so there's some serious uh, conversations that need to happen uh, for the secretary to prioritize that. Obviously, that makes sense for the next secretary to do is uh, uh, we we have a, a short time frame yet, uh, and they'll be the ones that will be implementing that. So I think there's guidance, there's allowance, um, and that's very helpful um, because um, it, there really was an allowance in CCC by itself 
to help uh, anybody other than producers directly. Uh, and so this absolutely does it and provides encouragement. Um, but there are several decisions the secretary, the next secretary will need to make. So you don't think anything would get done before you leave office? No, not not on that provision. Uh, as you think about the way the things come together, and the, the reason we're able to implement a few things is we're able to do some of those without, with, uh, like like potentially, um, you know, that are just around some rules uh, or around some guidance. You know, last year we did um, extend um, marketing assistance loans. Uh, that can be done without going through OMB and and other kinds of things, and that was <clears throat> encouraged by the legislation, or at least allowed by the legislation. Uh, those are the kinds of things we can do, or the kinds of things that we can do that we were already working on uh, in a set of rules. So you think of how how provisions have to come together, Mike. They've you got to put a plan and how the spend is going to be and how you're going to implement it. Uh, you've got to develop cost-benefit analysis and all the mechanisms. you got to get it to OMB. you got to go through agency clearance. you got to go through interagency clearance, um, and you got to get the software done, and obviously that's not going to get done in, in the two weeks. We're talking with outgoing Undersecretary for Farm Production and Conservation, Bill Northey. Bill, I know you've, you have talked about the what you believe Congress needs to do moving forward when it comes to ad hoc assistance administered through uh, the CCC. What are your thoughts on that? What would, what do you think needs to be done? Well, you know, I think uh, we, we saw, well, pretty big events um, that really weren't supported in a great way uh, through existing farm bill legislation. That was a, the trade challenges and, and, um, coronavirus and so to be able to step up and and use ccc to to respond to those was very important it'd be great if there was some way that that future black swans whatever those are i'm sure they're out there we saw a couple recently um with those two big events it'd be great if there was some authority within a farm bill to be able to do that what that looks like mike i don't know um, and of course, one one person's emergency is another person's normal activity, and and so I don't know exactly what that looks like, but it sure be nice if there was some additional authorities. Mm -hmm. um, you think there needs to be some changes in the next farm bill, right? Uh, uh, and some of these issues should be addressed in the farm bill. Yeah, I I think that's a logical place. It's great to uh, to have the direction of Congress and, and all that Congress does to be able to do that. But it also is important when you have the challenges that we went through and the uncertainty about what the impact is to ag, to have some flexibilities uh, for the secretary to be able to respond to those. So, you know, no one knew what coronavirus impact was going to be. In fact, we stood it up while it was still happening. Uh, so you need some flexibilities at the department, but you need some authorities given to the department to do that. As you leave uh, office, what are your what 
memories? What's your takeaway from your time there? What do you think uh, your biggest accomplishments were uh, and any regrets that you have that you weren't able to get done? You know, um, just what a, what a great experience to work with so many good folks in ag. Um, I got to see a lot of farmers and talked to a lot of farmers. We had some opportunity to be able to help some folks. So we had great career folks at USDA and certainly in our mission area. We brought that the FSA and the NRCS uh, so much closer together in the way that they implement. We tried to uh, certainly be responsive to farmers as well. Um, a very good experience. Uh, certainly look forward to making it as easy for the next folks that are there, and, and they'll do a great job. And and USGA is designed to be responsive, and certainly the secretary encouraged us to do that and made things possible for us to do that. So great experience for me. Glad to be uh, a part of of uh, USDA that responded in absolutely unique times from coronavirus when we couldn't deliver things at our county office anymore. We had to do it with some of our employees working from home and farmers figuring out how to do it online and other ways and and stood up ad hoc support uh, that that uh, was beyond anything anybody else had done before and certainly at a speed that folks would have said <clears throat> is really not possible to do and we were able to do that and delivered some things that I would say no one knew we were going to need to do um, and certainly in times and in the speed that no one thought that we could do out of a government agency where folks say that creativity and speed is not generally a characteristic of the federal government so very proud of the work our folks did. Well, Bill, thank you for all that you've done and appreciate your accessibility for us to be your willingness to come on and talk about issues. And uh, we wish you the, the very, very best, my friend. Look forward to talking with you again in the future. And whatever your, uh, next, uh, your next job will be, and I know you, someone will be wanting you because uh, of your great experience and talents, and we wish you the very best in whatever that may be. Thank you much, Mike. Always great to talk, and thanks for sharing with our folks out there. So appreciate it. All right, you take care. Best of luck to you. Bill Northey, as he wraps up his time as Undersecretary at USDA for Farm Production and Conservation. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at the, uh, the, the pork market, what's going on there. Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns & Associates, joins us next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me 
Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Andrew Bailey is the Science and Technology Council with the National Pork Producers Council. Andrew, we know that USDA and the Food and Drug Administration have been locked in a regulatory tug-of-war, you could say, when it comes to the authority on gene editing in livestock, and the Trump administration has signaled that they have an intention to make that oversight go to USDA. That's good news, isn't it? Definitely. You know, that's good news for, you know, uh, pork producers in this country and really all of animal agriculture. You know, this is really a, a first step um, in the process of modernizing our uh, regulatory regime that governs uh, gene editing specifically, you know, modern new gene, uh, genetic technologies in livestock. And um, it, it's something we definitely welcome. We're very supportive of USDA's effort to essentially try and, and bring uh, gene editing and, and these sort of new genetic technologies on the livestock side in line with how they are um, on the crop side. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Mike Adams, and this is Best in Class, brought to you by Bear DeLauro Complete Fungicide. We're joined now by Ray Lello. He's corn and soy fungicide production manager for DeLauro Complete Fungicide. Tell us about the launch of this new DeLauro Complete Fungicide product. What we've done with DeLauro Complete is take all the great features we had with the product we had in market for the last three years, which is DeLauro, so that resistance management message, that two modes of action, that high yield potential, and we added a third mode of action. So we took the strobilurin and the triazole and added an SDHI. And what that third mode of action does for us is increases disease activity. So when we think about tough diseases like gray leaf spot and corn or in soybeans like white mold or brown spot, it increases the activity on those. It also helps with resistance management and overall plant health. And the total result is more consistent yield improvement over the untreated check and even over its predecessors like Delaro. What do you see as the multiple benefits farmers will see when they use Delaro Complete fungicide? Delaro Complete, again, adds a third mode of action. And that third mode of action is going to increase a few key pieces of what we've seen previously with Delaro or even the other uh, players in market. So the first piece is uh, increased activity on tough to control diseases. It's also going to improve standability in corn and canopy closure in soybeans. So when we have tough winds in corn or we want to close the canopy to ensure that we don't have incremental weed pressure or we have the ability to have better photosynthesis in soybeans, that's going to be a really heavily improved 
performance versus its predecessors. And the last piece is improved plant health. So you're going to see greener, healthier crops that are going to help us to push through, if you will, um, if we miss a rain or we don't quite have the perfect environmental conditions. That's Ray Lello, corn and soy fungicide product manager for Delaro Complete Fungicide. Thanks, Ray. Thank you very much. This has been Best in Class, brought to you by Bear Delaro Complete Fungicide. I'm Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We're joined now by Steve Meyer, Kearns and Associates economist. Steve, Happy New Year. Good to talk with you as we start to 2021. I've, I've been thinking, I've been talking a lot of, with market analysts. We've been talking about this uh, big market rally and the excitement over higher grain prices. But the other side of that, uh, for those purchasing grain, uh, uh, those in the livestock industry, this creates a, another challenge. And uh, certainly that's going to have an impact as you give your, uh, your pork market outlook. Yeah, excitement on one side is terror on the other side, Mike. And so um, uh, I wouldn't say we're terrified by this, but it's certainly been a, a rally that uh, on the grain side and, and soybean side that has taken cost of production to the highest levels they've been in about seven years. Um, our model, based on the Iowa State University uh, parameters, has about $72 in there for the best 25% of producers, and that would put the average somewhere north of 75, somewhere around 77. And so uh, there's nothing takes the fun out of $80 hogs like $5 corn might do. And so um, I don't know if we're going to $5 on corn, but we've certainly watered down the profit potential for 2021 uh, pretty dramatically so far. And if you do the math on this, on acres and yields and all those kind of things, you know, unless we have very good 2021 crops, this these costs may have may have some staying power. And so, I think producers need to factor that into their decisions for this year. What are you forecasting on the demand side? <clears throat> well, on the demand side, demand side for pork, you're asking. Yes. Uh, Okay. Um, number one is it's kind of impossible to forecast demand. I mean, uh, on 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 meats, I, I've had no luck historically trying to forecast that. So um, uh, let's talk about the factors that are out there. Number one is uh, we're going to have pretty decent cattle prices this year. I think uh, you know they've strengthened some, and and uh, you know we're going to have more cattle coming to market, but there's still going to be strong cattle prices. Uh, with cutout values well north of $200. Uh, we're going to have relatively inexpensive chicken. Uh, the chicken industry seems to be be uh, bent on growing regardless of what their, their economic situation is. Now, they can change very quickly, and this run-up in soybean meal will probably put a damper on growth on the chicken side, which is good because the only thing they've got that they've got a decent price on right now is wings. And until they get a four-wing chicken, I mean, I don't think that's going to help them a lot. So, um, you know, so so on, from the competitive side, I think we're going to have real competition from chicken. Uh, I think we're going to have uh, probably a, a reasonably positive situation relative to beef. Exports, um, we think that they're going to be down this year. Uh, 
mainly because they were up so much last year. Uh, what will China do is still the big question. I think they're going to kind of bide their time here. I don't believe we're going to have growth to China. Uh, it's going to go down some from where it was in 2020. Uh, we think 10 to 15 percent probably. Um, Mexico could grow. They didn't have a very good year last year, mainly because of PEDV, and so uh, we think there could be some growth. But we think total exports are going to be down. So that brings us back to the domestic market and saying, okay, what's going to happen out here with food service and retail? The data for 2020 say that we made up for all the damage we had in the food service sector by ex, uh, increased retail sales. Uh, demand for all meats was up for the year uh, from the year before. Uh, pork was not the leader on that. Beef was the leader, almost a d- double digit up. Pork was up uh, 1.9% through November. Uh, I think pork demand will hold in there. I don't think it's going to fall apart. I think the real question for performance this coming year on the hog market is going to be, A, how many hogs we have, and, B, how uh, well our packing plants can operate. On B, which has been the focus of many of our calls this last fall, Mike, mm-hmm. um, I think we're doing pretty well there. I mean, we had the big problem at Columbus Junction before Christmas that they were down, but they're back up this week. Uh, they, had a, they had a problem with a motor that, that damaged their cooling system. Um, we've had kind of sporadic things on coronavirus, but nothing serious. Uh, we've had a couple of weather disruptions during the holidays that didn't help us because we've got some we've got some hogs backed up that we've got to work through this week and next. As a matter of fact, this week's slaughter may be record large, and so um, we got some hog numbers to work through here. But as long as we can keep our packing plants running, uh, I think we're okay. Um, from the Hogs and Pigs report, I don't have any real big problems for the fourth quarter out of that Hogs and Pigs report right now because uh, we're not going to have any more capacity than we have now to speak of. Might have a few tweaks here and there, but uh, there's no big expansions coming on, on packing capacity this year. So we have to be uh, – producers need to be mindful of that when they're making production decisions for 2021 and 22. We're not going to you – know, we may have a double shift at uh at uh, fremont nebraska in 22 but not this year so um i'm guardedly optimistic i'm uh, not as optimistic as some but i think these prices in the 80s for the summer are justified i think they're good prices uh, i think uh, you know you probably ought to start some some marketing and pricing activities at these price levels not maybe not sell all of them but i would get some of them sold in the 80s for the summer Real quick, uh, still big question as we start 2021, uh, as far as the economy and people being able to eat at restaurants again and, and, and that part of the sector, we still don't know. Yeah, we still don't know that. Uh, and, I, I, and, and the question I would respond back to that is, I'm not sure, or the statement is, I'm not sure it matters. I mean, you know, we had all this problem with restaurants this last year, and yet pork demand at the consumer level, which includes retail and, and restaurants, is up. And so, uh, which goes back to the point that we've made a long, long time ago, Mike, people still going to eat, okay? Whether they eat at a restaurant or they eat at home, they're still going to eat. And uh, I think long-term, this is still a good thing for the pork industry because, uh, you know, you, you have more chances of buying pork at a grocery store than you do at a restaurant in most cases. So um, I'm guardedly optimistic about 2021, the cost issue notwithstanding. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, what we've learned uh, from this past year on uh, people uh, purchasing pork. Steve, always good to talk with you. We'll talk again soon. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Bye.
Steve Meyer, economist for Kearns & Associates. That wraps it up for today. Thanks for being with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.